Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. This series was conceived, you know, in late summer, uh, long before October 7th. And now here we are where the world is watching um, the Jewish people and Israel. And uh, I don't have um, any kind of uh, statement on land appropriation, any, any of that. But I do want to talk about this faith, the oldest surviving faith. Last week we talked about the difference between Christianity and and Eastern religions, specifically Hinduism and Buddhism. And today we want to explore the religion that gave birth to not only the Christian faith, but the Islamic faith as well, Judaism. And uh, it's, you know, when I, I came from Alberta, where there was I don't, I don't think any Jewish community that I'm aware of. And here we live in the most diverse area, maybe in the world. And uh, I bet you many of you uh, have friends with Jewish people. There are Jewish communities right on our doorstep. It's the oldest of the world's great monotheistic religions, meaning religions that believe in one and one God only, as opposed to polytheism, which is the belief in multiple gods. If you have any kind of background in Christianity at all, Judaism is not too much of a, a stretch. Their Bible is part of our Bible. We, sh- we share the Old Testament, or um, what they call the Tanakh. It, to the Jews, of course, it's not the Old Testament. It is the Testament. It is the covenant. Their stories are our stories. Their heroes are our heroes. When we talk about Adam and Noah and Abraham and Joseph and Moses and Gideon and Joshua, we're, we're on common ground. We're sharing a, a common spiritual heritage. Remember, the New Testament, which Christians embrace as Scripture, uh, was written largely by Jewish people, to Jewish people largely. Um, it's thoroughly Jewish in culture and style and perspective. The major figures of the early Christian church movement were all Jewish. Matthew, Mark, John, James, Paul. And of course, the central figure of the New Testament and of our Christian faith, Jesus, pronounced through his Hebrew name, Yeshua, was thoroughly, wholeheartedly Completely Jewish. He was born a Jew, circumcised a Jew, raised a Jew, celebrated all of the Jewish cultural rituals and celebrations. And then at around the age 30, began a ministry that was at first exclusively to the Jewish people, teaching in in Jewish synagogues throughout the area and eventually even in the Jewish temple in, in Jerusalem. So, What is the Jewish faith all about? Why did Christianity spring up from it in a way that that made two religions instead of one? 
Today, much to my surprise, there are actually only approximately 16 million Jews in the world today total. And about seven and a half million of them live in the U.S., almost two million in Canada. They make up, as you saw, 0.02% of the world's population. Was anybody else surprised by that? It's such a low number. And for all the hatred and anti-Semitism out there, you'd think they were a more dominant people. They're, They're not. There are more Mormons in the world than there are Jewish people. Why are we even talking about them then? Because of their outsized influence. Uh, we, we see it geopolitically today. But Judaism is at the root of our faith in Christianity and Islam. Hugely influential. And, and there are three main branches of Judaism today. Orthodox, and they hold the strict practice of, of the Jewish people from the Old Testament. There's the reform uh, strain of Judaism, which is sort of a modern, some would say liberal updating of Orthodox Judaism. And then there's the, a conservative branch, which is kind of a middle way between Orthodox and reform. But despite the, the differences between these branches, the heart of historic Judaism is the belief in one and one God only, who is the creator and ruler of the world, the essence of this faith is captured in the book of Deuteronomy, a passage known as the Shema. Yeah, it's, it's Hebrew for the word hear or listen, because that's the first word in this verse recited every morning by faithful Jews. Actually, when I was in Israel, some of you may have done this as well. This is the custom that we would follow every day, reciting the Shema together. Just say Shema. Yeah. And here's what it says from Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And later on in my trip, we would then add the words of Jesus to the end. And love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Beyond the belief in one God, the Old Testament teaches that this one God had chosen to reveal himself to the people he created through his chosen people in order that they might be a light to all nations. And those chosen people are the Jewish people. Uh, This is what the 12th chapter of Genesis says about the beginning of this relationship. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. And so later, God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Abraham. And um, it's actually, his name means father of many. So, So the Jewish people began with God choosing Abraham. And then they grew through Abraham's uh, expanding family. His, his son, Isaac. Thank you, Paul. 
I, two A's, right? And his son, Jacob, very good. So you often hear, um, even in our songs, you know, that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the patriarchs of the Jewish people. And a major turning point happened with Jacob in a dream where he wrestled with God and at the end asked for a blessing. And this is what God said to him. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. So, so Jacob, now known as Israel, went on to have 12 sons that would become the basis for the 12 tribes of Israel. And the, and the, the people of those 12 tribes became known as Israelites. And later, the land in which they dwelled uh, became known as, as Israel. So we have Israel and the 12 tribes. You're with me so far? Okay. Um, while the Jewish people uh, began with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it was actually another great man, their prophet, who really organized them into a nation of people. His name was Moses. And let me just add, Moses. And um, it was through Moses that God led the Israelites from slavery, away from Egypt. He began to form a nation. And through Moses, God gave the Israelites the law, which is found in the first five books of the Old Testament. The Jewish people refer to it as the Torah. And at the heart of the law is known as the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments included things like put God first and make sure your relationship or your, or your worship is to the real God. Honor your parents. Uh, respect human life. Stay faithful in your marriage. Acquire things honestly. Tell the truth. And God used Moses and later Joshua to lead his people to the promised land, a, a land promised by God to Abraham and his descendants where they could truly be his people and be a light to the whole world. And then, you know, I'm going fast here, but God raised up great kings like David and Solomon to lead his people. But the people eventually uh, turned away from God. They actually, there was a split. You've heard of a church split. This was like a, a country split where Israel uh, became just 10 tribes and the southern kingdom became two, two of the 12 tribes known as Judah. It's a lot to brush over quickly, but those 10 tribes of the north <clears throat> were conquered by the Assyrians and over time assimilated into the Assyrians. And so the Jewish people of today are essentially the descendants of just the two southern tribes of Judah, which is why they became more commonly known as the Jews. It's taken from, from the name and tribe of Judah. By the way, like um, saying the word Jew sounds almost like pejorative nowadays. That's how they refer to each other. I'm a Jew, you're a Jew, we're Jews. Um, and it comes from that word Judah. Skip ahead to AD 70 and the Jewish people revolted against the Romans. Rome crushed that rebellion. They destroyed the temple. 
That temple has never been rebuilt. And it changed the Jewish faith, actually, in dramatic ways since then. It forced the decentralization of the Jewish faith. It ended uh, animal sacrifice. It led to the rise of the local synagogue, which is just, um, it just means a place for meeting uh, uh, for Jewish life and religious practices. Gone were priests, prophets, kings, Instead, rabbis, which means uh, master or teacher, became the authorities. The writings of the rabbis have been collected in in such things as the Talmud. Um, Jewish people then faced, I don't need to tell you, but centuries of, of persecution and prejudice, which undoubtedly the darkest chapter was between 1939 and 1945. Six million Jews systematically killed. Um, simply because they were Jewish. And the modern era era has also witnessed this other historic event related to the Jewish people, the the return to their land. 1948, the new state of Israel was declared and became the homeland to Jewish people immigrating from all over the world. 2023 marks the 75th anniversary of that. And here's the thing. uh, They are a people of hope. Since Abraham, um, even in slavery, uh, even through their rebellion, through the exile, through persecution, even the Holocaust, there was a hope built on the confidence that they are, in fact, the chosen people of God and that God will not abandon them. Because at some point, sometime, the belief was that God will deliver them ultimately and finally through the most incredible event in all of history, the coming of a Jewish Messiah. Jewish people have debated who the Messiah will be, what he will be like, whether or not it's even a real person, but they believe that the Messiah is coming. God made that clear through the prophet uh, well, through prophet after prophet, actually. So, what happened within Judaism that created this thing called Christianity? Why did the Jewish faith produce the world's largest, most influential religion, one that raced past Judaism in size and influence, in, in historically speaking, a blink of an eye? Well, the shorthand answer is that around 2,000 years ago, a group of Jews became convinced that what Israel had been waiting for had happened, that the Messiah had come in the person of a Jew named Yeshua, Jesus. Jesus was a first century Jew who made this astounding claim. He claimed to be their long-awaited Messiah. He claimed to be God himself in human form. And... uh, He claimed to be one who had come to earth to deliver people from the bondage of their sins. And this was authenticated by by witnesses seeing ridiculous amounts of miracles, people raised from the dead, watching his perfect life and teaching. But it's, it's really what Jesus said about himself that was most intriguing. It's found in the eighth chapter of John, one of the four historical accounts of the life of Jesus. Jesus was in a a dialogue with Jewish religious leaders, and they asked him who he thought he was. It was more like, 
Who do you think you are? And, and let me read his answer. He says, I tell you the truth. Jesus said, if a man keeps my word, he will never see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed, now we know you are demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if a man keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad, Jesus said. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. And at this they picked up stones to stone him. Why are they so triggered by this? They're ready to kill Jesus on the spot. Uh, it's extremely important that we just unpack this for a minute. It's because he referred to himself as, I am. I should be a doctor. My handwriting is so awesome. <laughs> um, the background of I am is actually found in the story of Moses and the burning bush. You may know that story. God himself is speaking to Moses, telling him to go to the highest authority in the land, the Pharaoh of Egypt, and demand that, that the Pharaoh release all the slaves. And so Moses asked God to give him his name, the very name of God, so that he could say to the people exactly who sent him. And here's the answer God gave to Moses. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say. I am has sent me to you. That phrase I am is considered to be the most holy word in existence because it is the very name of God. It, it was considered so holy that the Jews wouldn't even say it or write it out completely. They just penned the four consonants that, uh, that looked like this. Uh, and scholars thought for the longest time that that was pronounced uh, Jehovah. And uh, it actually a more faithful translation is, is Yahweh when we put in the missing uh, vowels. And so you've probably heard this. This is the, the name of God himself, Yahweh. And so back to Jesus, he says, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus claimed the very name, the very sacred, unspeakable name of the living God himself. And, and the people listening completely understood where he was coming from. And they picked up stones. They were ready to kill him on the spot. This was nothing less than blasphemy. Here was this mere man claiming to be God himself. But Jesus made this claim repeatedly throughout his life. One time he just put it as bluntly as possible so as to leave no ambiguity. And he said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why didn't the Jews believe in Jesus? First, a lot did. Uh, the, the Christian movement exploded in growth by by 
100 AD, there we believe about 7,500 followers of Christ. 300 AD, there's over 30 million who call themselves followers of Christ. Today, it is the, large world, uh, the, the world's largest faith. It's a good reminder sometimes in Canada when we feel like, are we losing you know, ground here spiritually? It, it, God is at work in the world. Um, so to say the Jewish people rejected Jesus isn't totally historically accurate. The early church was comprised mostly of Jewish followers of Jesus. What's accurate to say, though, is that the Jewish leaders of that time rejected Jesus. See, they didn't want anything or, or anyone stirring up uh, the things they had going with Rome because they had positions of power and influence under the Roman regime. They had it, they had it good. A Messiah was not good for them at that time, particularly a Messiah like Jesus. But why didn't more rank-and-file Jews believe Jesus was the Messiah they hoped for? I, I, I think the answer is actually pretty simple. They couldn't believe that this was God's idea of a Messiah. Jesus didn't fit their preconceived notions of what they wanted the Messiah to look like. Many had in mind, I think, a military leader who would use power to overthrow Rome and place Israel as supreme authority over the land. They, they wanted someone who would come taking names and kicking butt. And here's Jesus saying, turn the other cheek. The last shall be first. Be a servant to all. Many were expecting you know, the pomp and fanfare of, of a king riding into town with an army behind them. And Jesus was born into a destitute family from a hick town um, in a manger of all things. They wanted a larger than life action hero. And Jesus was a suffering servant on a humiliating cross, no less. But here's the great irony. That's exactly what their prophets said to expect. Here's one example. This is how the prophet Isaiah described him. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. So there were popular expectations for Jesus, but then there were the actual prophecies which Jesus fit to a T. Some people recognized this in Jesus. Some Jews recognized that what had begun with Abraham and, and his people of Israel had finally come to maturity. Jesus himself spoke of his life and eventual death and resurrection as the fulfillment of God's grand plan. In fact, you want to know the first words out of Jesus' mouth that we have uh, record of when he began his public ministry. When he started his ministry, he had four words. The time is fulfilled. Um, in other words, everything in history has been leading up to this moment happening right now. So to, to see how Judaism was fulfilled in Jesus, let me just take you to two events. I could take you to a thousand, but if I could just take you to two events in the final hours of Jesus' life, um, 
and, and, and show how Jesus fulfilled everything about the Jewish, Jewish faith in a goosebumpy kind of accuracy. The first scene is what Christians call the Last Supper, which was actually a celebration of the Jewish Passover feast, but with a twist. Um, as I said, there was a time many centuries ago where the Jewish people were enslaved by the Egyptians and God used Moses to lead them into freedom, but it took plague after plague after plague for the Egyptians to finally release the slaves. And the tenth and decisive plague was the death of every firstborn. But, but, but God told the Israelites that if they would take and sacrifice an unblemished perfect lamb, and then take that blood and spread it on their doorposts, the angel of death would pass over them, literally the term Passover. And and people did. The angel came. The firstborn Egyptians were killed. But the Israelites who covered their homes with the blood of the lamb were saved. And Jews have been celebrating the festival of Passover ever since as a reminder of God's deliverance from death, the freedom that came through his deliverance through the blood of the lamb. It was a Passover meal that has become what we would call communion or Eucharist or or the Lord's Supper. Here's why it forever changed that night. Just before his death, Jesus uh, grabbed the disciples together to celebrate the Passover. And let me just read what happened. Jesus took the bread, gave thanks. He broke it, gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So he takes the Passover meal and said, now this wine and this bread have a new meaning. I'm the unblemished lamb that was sacrificed. And those who are marked by my blood will be freed from the slavery of their sin. They will be passed over from what is spiritual death that comes from sin. And from now on, do this in remembrance of me. This is the new memorial meal for those who are part of the family of God. Uh, The bread is my body broken for you. The wine is my blood shed on a cross for you. His death would now serve as the deliverance of God's people from their sins, which is an even deeper kind of slavery that ever existed under the Egyptians. Now we have community or communion with the living God. Now everyone who comes to Jesus as their leader and their forgiver, they would be God's chosen people. Through Jesus, the Passover has reached its its ultimate fulfillment. And this is exactly what the prophet Isaiah had said the Messiah would be about. He says, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. By his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. The Lord makes his life a guilt offering. He bore the sin of many and made intercession 
for the transgressions. So what began with Abraham and the people of Israel had come to maturity. And that's what being the church is all about. Because the idea of being God's people as a light to the nations didn't end. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church. And the word church simply means the gathered ones, the the new community. It's the people of God, which started with Israel and now is brought to fulfillment under Jesus. God's promise to Abraham has come true because he he has become the spiritual father of many nations. What an amazing story. So there's that scene. But I told you I wanted to tell you one more uh, scene, a second scene. So fast forward to the very next day. A lot has happened in 24 hours. There's been a betrayal from Judas. There's been this mock trial, beatings, brought before uh, the Roman governor, Pilate, beaten some more, stripped of his clothing, nailed to a tree, left to die. And here's the record of the end of Jesus' life on the cross. Here's what it says. Jesus said, it is finished. By this time it was noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle and Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. What was, what was finished? What had happened that enabled Jesus to essentially say, mission accomplished. Um, The answer is found in one of, I think, one of the most overlooked details of the entire crucifixion scene, a single sentence that we just read. And suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. What's up with that? Uh, That single supernatural event concluded thousands of years of Jewish history. Just real quickly, uh, let me recap at first people interacted with God through a select group of people called priests. Aaron, the brother of of Moses was the most, uh, maybe the most famous of those priests. And priests stood as mediators between the people and God, which meant that to do anything with God, to pray, to give an offering, to confess sins, to worship, you couldn't go directly to God. You had to go through priests. Now, in the days of Moses, God instructed that a portable tabernacle be built as the place of worship. It would have looked something like this. And at the heart of the tabernacle was the holy place. And then inside of that, the most holy place, the holy of holies. And inside there, you'd find the Ark of the Covenant. And the holy place and the most holy place were separated by a curtain. Okay, the holy place represent the the royal guest chamber uh, uh, where God's people symbolically came uh, before him. But the most holy place, the holy of holies, represented God's throne room, the innermost sanctuary. And it was kept separate through a curtain because during that time, people did not have direct access to the presence of God. Only the priests were allowed into the holy place and only the high priest entered the holy place or the most holy place. And even then only once a year. In fact, 
it's kind of comical to me. They would actually tie a rope to his leg uh, in the event that if the glory of God was so overwhelming and it, and it killed the priest, they could just drag him out of the, of the most holy place. And even then he could only enter with a blood sacrifice, which was offered for himself and for the sins of all the people. In ancient times, the Bible teaches that God allowed people to sacrifice an animal to make amends for their sins. God, God wanted people to see that sin, the sin that comes between us and God is messy and gruesome and costly because sin is messy and gruesome and costly. But he also wanted to show his love and his forgiveness and his mercy. So the sacrifice was a substitute for the sinner. It, it bore the sinner's guilt. And while it was offered to God, it wasn't something that would finally and ultimately bridge that gap between us and God. It was sort of like a stopgap measure in God's unfolding redemptive plan. Well, the, the tabernacle eventually received a permanent home in the, in the temple built by Solomon. It looks something like this. And again, the most holy place is separated by a curtain. That temple is destroyed in 586 BC. The Ark of the Covenant is lost, most likely melted down for gold um, by, by the enemy. But the temple was rebuilt in that very same spot in 20 BC by King Herod. Uh, this is what it uh, probably looked like, a little more elaborate, but the same interior design. But again, the holy place and the most holy place are separated by a curtain. Uh, we only have one wall of the temple that, that still survives. Here's a, here's a picture, um, sometimes called the Western Wall or the, or the Wailing Wall. This is me when I was in Israel in front of the wall. And uh, at the moment Jesus died, the curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies was torn into by God, supernaturally, miraculously ripped apart. Why? Because Jesus became our high priest. He entered into the most holy place on our behalf and he brought a sacrifice himself, his own blood. And then the curtain came down once and for all. Why? Because from that point forward, no priest would be needed to voice prayers on our behalf or to serve as, as mediators between us and God. No longer would we need to go to a temple and sacrifice animals. The ultimate sacrifice had been made. We have direct access to the presence of God, directly to the throne of prayer, to receive forgiveness, grace, relationship. When Jesus died, he took all of the barriers away between us and God. Here's how the writer of the book of Hebrews so beautifully puts it. So dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. He let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah is right. Questions now like, are the Jews still God's chosen people? Does the church now represent Israel? How, how do their success or failure tie into end times? There's a lot that could be said about that, but, he, but here's the important question as we close. Can a Jew, can a Gentile, can anyone be saved apart from Jesus? No. Or asked another way, did the Messiah come? Was that Messiah Jesus? If the Messiah has come, and if that Messiah was Jesus, then Jesus is everything. And, and where you stand in relation to him is everything. We, we have, a, have a, a bad history in some ways of Christians hating Jews, saying things like, you people are the Christ killers. Uh, the Jews didn't kill Jesus. Uh, I killed Jesus. And you killed Jesus. It was my sin. It was your sin. It was my parents' sin. It's my kids' sin. It was the Jews, the Romans, the Gentiles, everybody who sent Jesus to that cross, not with a gun to his head, but of his own volition because of love. He said, nobody forces me to do this. I I choose to go and be a sacrifice for all time and eternity, for sin's past, present, future, the ultimate sacrifice.